0: Hey oomphies. hey oomphies. Welcome to oomphcast, the podcast where I, quasi Matt, talk to my oomphs. And today we have Lexi. Welcome to the pod, Lexi. Hey
1: Matt, thanks for having me.
0: Of course. So I actually want to start with our oomph origin story because I feel like this is like necessary context for all episodes but I didn't realize this until now. Like I'll get you know 30 minutes in and be and then finally be like oh this is how we know each other by the way. So let's try to like work through that because i mean i know it's like okay. people from wisconsin right because like i went to school in wisconsin right, yeah you like spent most of your life in wisconsin right
1: yeah so i think um so i grew up with hunter and i believe the way i met with you was like via twitter via hunter and his college friends okay that, yeah that yeah. Right yeah
0: that sounds right that's that's actually what i thought but i wasn't sure because like um i hung out with like hunter and Uh, Clayton and like Megan because I met um, their friend Tia at a party one time just like totally randomly I don't even really remember because I was like really fucked up and then just met all of them through her and then I thought that you two had gone to high school but I wasn't sure if it was if you had connections with like some other person but yeah that makes sense so it's yeah
1: Hunter and I grew up together and then like weirdly enough Tia and um, Eli grew up in Stevens Point I think and so like we have like separate mutual friends from the Stevens Point area. So it's like everybody in Wisconsin knows each other. Oh my god, it's like a <laughs> it's network. So wild. I love that. Yeah. Wait,
0: how big is Stevens Point? It's you, like, like how many people?
1: It's weird because it's like a college town obviously, so it fluctuates right. a lot, but it looks like like 26,000 people.
0: Oh, okay. And it probably what like 10,000 of those are students. Yeah. Like, Yeah. Okay. So it fluctuates like a lot. I feel like all of the like Wisconsin satellite schools or like whatever the smaller ones are all in like small towns and those towns are defined by the university presence.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like I went to
0: La Crosse and Eau Claire and stuff and it was like, okay, so this is like the university.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's the university town thing is so, it's so pervasive, like probably everywhere that like schools are set up that way. But in Wisconsin, it's like oh yeah, you go to Stout, do you know this person who is also in your major? And like, everyone knows someone.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's like so much crossover too from like, a lot of people from Minnesota go to Wisconsin because we get like, Mm -hmm. no, okay, I was gonna say no tuition. That's not true. Um, Like (laughs) We get uh, reciprocity. So it's like the same tuition and vice versa for um like minnesota and wisconsin residents but i feel like wisconsin residents kind of get scammed with that because like y'all have a bunch of universities and i think we, d- right. we don't have that many like public ones so yeah there's, that's like, like, less like, options. i don't
1: know much about like greater minnesota but that is also my impression but i feel like it's like if you don't go to madison like u of m is kind of the move for like you know the similar big 10 experience so that's probably like the big draw for wisconsin students
0: yeah yeah definitely so you grew up in wisconsin i actually don't know where like somewhere in rural ish wisconsin or like a small town
1: yeah i like the point of reference i always use is green bay so i grew up like 30 minutes north of green bay and now like my family lives slightly closer um so i was i grew up in northeast wisconsin
0: Okay, I always think of Green Bay as being like so far north. So when you said north of Green Bay, I was like, wait, what? Like, aren't you even a lake <laughs> or something? Like, I don't, I don't even really know what like things look like once you get that far north. I've, I've never been up there.
1: It's extremely boring.
0: Yeah, I've, I've like heard. Wait, where is like Appleton and stuff in relation to Appleton
1: is south of Green Bay.
0: Oh, okay, never mind. So you're not really close to that. But I, I remember like a bunch of people at University of Wisconsin, like in Madison, would be from that area. And they were like, yeah, it sucks. We hate it. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Man. And
1: Appleton was like the big city for like where I grew up. Like I graduated with 92 people. So like when I tell people I grew up around Green Bay, they're like, oh, where'd you go to school? And it's like, oh, well, you don't know. It's not in Green Bay.
0: It's yeah. Just, like you're like, not going to know. It's place about. that you would know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So then you finished up in wherever near, near Green Bay. And then you went to Stevens Point for school Yes. And then there you studied like literature, or English or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, I was an English major and I was I told you I was prepping for recording this by listening to previous episodes of (laughs) this cast. I love that you're doing homework. (laughs) All of your like previous guests who are English majors are like so smart and know so much of the technical shit that I just like never was interested in or bothered to learn and that like they're talking about like Syrian shit that i could not even pull out of b- the deepest depths of my memory <laughs> i'm like oh man i'm a fucking idiot
0: no, but I yeah love i love that though because you like i don't know i guess like you you very clearly like have a passion for this type of thing and you currently work in it so like I feel like that is, because oftentimes, like, I mean, I forget most of the nitty gritty of my education as well. And also when I do bring it up, it's like probably to criticize it, you know, like, yeah, it's not super important. Yeah. I feel like
1: the, the like angle that kind of dictated my like English education was a lot of like, so I was really focused on publishing and like publishing is really like exclusionary and elitist. And like, so I knew less about like this style of writing is from this era and more about like this is how publishing works and like what you can do to like get more people in the door and like so less of like the technical writing stuff even though like i was like literally a technical writer while i was in college but um all of that shit is gone from my brain and like the the publishing and like storytelling aspect of it is like more powerful to me i think
0: okay yeah so how does that I guess I have not heard of this like publishing focus before so this is interesting to me especially because I wouldn't necessarily think of like Stevens Point as being, um, you know, like a center for this or something. So is that like an uncommon thing that's particular to that school or was this just like an interest of yours that you had to go out of your way to pursue.
1: So Stevens Point, the Department of English has this really special. um, It's, it's a university press but for anyone who knows stuff about university presses, it is not like an actual university press, it is a press at the university, Um, but it's called Cornerstone Press. And I interned with them um, as a junior and senior in college. And basically it's been there since the eighties. And it's basically structured like a once, or it was when I was in it. Now it's like huge and different, Um, but it was like, you'd take a class in the fall semester And they would acquire manuscripts and the class would choose a manuscript. And then people in the class would get roles. So like an editor and a salesperson and a designer. Mm -hmm. And then basically you go through the process of publishing a book, which is like a nine to 18 month process in like the real publishing world. And you do it in like three and a half months during the fall semester. So that was like my big intro into the publishing world. And it's like, you know, it's like a small press at a university in Wisconsin. And it's like, not Madison, which has like an actual university press, but we were publishing some very cool stuff, like from first time authors, usually, and um, kind of like figuring out how do we get people outside of like campus to care about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now I like, am very, (laughs) very poorly serve as um, director of development for Cornerstone Press, which basically just means like I, you know, it's like a student run operation and the publisher, the editor in chief is a professor. And I kind of like work with him and sort of meet the students as they go in and out through semesters and years and think about like, what do we want this press to be? Who do we want to publish? I get to look at some of the manuscript submissions that are like really promising and we'll just like kick around ideas like, do we think this is cool? Do we want to make room for this? Um, and since there's been more interest in it and like a ton of growth in part because the English department didn't get slashed, which I think we're going to talk about later. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll get to it.
1: (laughs) So like the press has, you know, I said it used to be just like a one semester deal, one book per calendar year academic year whatever Mm -hmm. um now they're pushing out like four books a year and it's kind of like there's a fall component and a spring component so even since i was in school it's expanded so much which has been really cool to see even though i'm like a very half-assed like advisor kind of role it's it's very cool i'm very proud of it and it's kind of a hidden gem that i'm like how do i get people like, to care about this
0: thing yeah like how do we get the world to know um clearly by talking about it on Oofcast, when the entire world is listening um, absolutely but I'm interested in this like distinction between so like when you said oh it's not a, u- a normal university press like my impression was that you meant that like maybe a, a normal university press would publish basically exclusively academic literature is that is that the distinction that you're identifying? Not
1: necessarily. It's kind of more based on like the financial structure. Um so like Madison has a university press and they get funding from the university and probably from like donors and people with shitloads of money in Madison and around the area. And they do like a lot of academic work but they have a paid staff. Um so the difference between like that structure and what's at Stevens Point is that The staff is entirely student run, um, aside from the professor who runs it, uh, Ross Tangadol. Um, and it's completely self-sustaining. So the staff is not paid. It's, it's an experience thing, but it's also like credits. So it's not, it's not like exploitative, like, um, like an unpaid internship. It's like, this is a class you're taking and it'll count toward your major and Mm -hmm. like very good experience. Um, so it's it's self-sustaining in that the, the, book, the money used to publish books is from book revenue. So the university isn't budgeting any money toward it. The English department doesn't budget any money toward it. Um, I think we've had help from donors in the past, but they've been like super small. And um, it really is just kind of a labor of love kind of thing. And we, by having, you know, being self-sustaining, we're kind of in a weird spot because it's like the university can't get rid of us cause we're not costing them any money, but we also like could use some money to operate better and like do bigger, better things. So it's a unique position, but I think it's really cool. And it's, it makes sense for Steven's point at the size of that we're at.
0: Yeah. Is there, are there any like, um, like trends in the types of things that you typically publish, I guess maybe now that they're putting out more stuff, have they like, you know, started looking for new types of literature? Like, do they typically take things from the area or do you get submissions from all over? Like, what are, what has been published through there?
1: Yeah, so we, what I've seen, like, since I was um, involved with the press as a student um, is like a lot of short story collections. And a lot of them come from mostly, like, people from rural backgrounds, mostly, like, middle-aged white people. who like kind of see the connection with Stevens Point is like rural Midwestern has a lot of similar um, kind of like issues and like tropes that the people face in communities like Stevens Point. Mm -hmm. Um, So we get a lot of that stuff, which is really great. But we also the year before I was on staff as a student, they published their first international title from a Filipina um, poet, which was really cool. So it's kind of like submissions are open, but it's just a matter of like who is submitting and who is like finding us.
0: Yeah. Like who's going to hear and, about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and there are like a few different series that we publish under. So like one of them is the Back Home series, which is um, about like Midwest literature specifically, which is like another reason I'm really into Cornerstone is because like I love that shit. I love, like, the Midwestern identity and, like, all the weird um, different ways that, like, people identify with and, like, the unique problems we have in the Midwest and, like, the ways that they are not unique at all. That's, like, a whole other thing. Um, there's like, also can like, actually,
0: Can you say a little bit more about that, actually? Because I'm, I'm just, like, curious, like, what are, like, what do you identify as the problems or which ones do you think are most interesting? Because, I mean, like, I'm from the Midwest, too, but, like, I, I guess I, like, don't think about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I think like there's such a, I think about like growing up in a small town in the Midwest and thinking about how like my life wouldn't begin until I like left, you know? And I think that's not like Midwest specific really, but like small town specific for sure, which is like that rural small town thing is like super common in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the identity that like, we kind of like romanticize the rural thing or at least a lot of a lot of like the stuff that I read and like the circles I am social with like we like are like oh thank god I'm not where I grew up but also like I love being back home and then we also know like there are issues with like conservatism in the towns we grew up in so like you have all this like in some cases like strong nostalgic romanticism for the place you grew up but like oh, the people there fucking suck. And like, it took me until I like got <laughs> out of there to like realize, oh, this is like a really disgusting, like toxic environment. And of course, like there's there's no way I could have like become myself there. So like, I, I grapple a lot with that personally. And I think a lot of what we publish kind of addresses that. Like one story comes to mind um, in the book that I helped publish was about, um, a woman who lives in like rural Connecticut and gets an abortion and like what that means when you're like in a rural conservative area. Um, And it wasn't necessarily like, she was like the feminist or like rebelling or any, like it wasn't like that. It was like, I can't have a baby, I need an abortion. So it was, that kind of stuff is really fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, I kind of love, I, I don't know if this is what you were getting at with, uh, with the Connecticut story, but I think what's cool about that is I love when when someone is able to tell a story in like what is seemingly a non-political way or like doesn't have an explicit political agenda. And yeah, it's like very clear to most readers that there is some sort of political implication um, to like what they're yeah, reading. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah, like tell a personal story and then it ends up being like much more convincing than if you were to make an argument or something about something that was explicitly political and and, yeah I definitely yeah go ahead
1: i think like that happens a lot again like if we think about like people who grow up in rural environments and are not particularly like politically um involved in the ways that like people in like really left-leaning cities are like people who are on Twitter and like engaging in like discourse and shit about politics. Like they're doing things in their life that like, we understand have like political impacts, but like they, they're doing it because it's like, this is what I need to do. This is like what I want to do. So I think if, when you combine those two perspectives of like, this is what life is like here because this is what life is like. And then like, look at it through the lens of like, this is what that means on a bigger scale. I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I had not thought of it like that before, um, but that totally makes sense. And you're kind of like a like a Midwesterner till you die type of thing, right? Cause you are- I am, yeah. Okay, because you went, now you're in Minnesota, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, I live in St. Paul now.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. I, I knew it was like the Twin Cities area, but I wasn't really sure. And I warned you that I wanted to talk about this because like you, didn't you literally buy a house?
1: I did. Yeah, I bought a house in December.
0: <laughs> oh my God. You're like, you're literally the people in, okay, like most of these people are in Texas that like buy a house and then they're like, I'm 23 and I bought a house and they like take a <laughs> pic in front of it. And they're like, what are you my doing? My house is super not I like that. But it's yeah, in St. Paul, which is really cool because I feel like, yeah, I don't know, like it's cool that you were able to like, not only go to St. Paul but then not be renting. I hate renting. I'm like obsessed with property ownership. So that's why I had to ask you about it.
1: Yeah, that was like a huge thing. Like I'm fucking tired of renting. Well I when I first graduated college I moved to Hudson, Wisconsin, which is like right on the border. It's like the burb that you live in, if you want to still live in Wisconsin, but maybe work in the Twin Cities. Right. Um so and my job is in Hudson. So like that worked out really well. But then um after a breakup i moved to st paul and was renting and like the rent was like double what it was in hudson because it's like the twin cities mm-hmm. and i was like holy shit this sucks so bad and then i got my dog and i was like holy fuck i'm so tired of like walking down two flights of stairs so she can take a shit at like 11 at night <laughs> so i was like <laughs> it kind of happened like not by accident but it, like the way i started hunting for a house was like we I was walking the dog and a house a block away from mine went up for sale and I was like oh that's really cute and then I was like oh that's pretty affordable too so I looked at it well I was going to look at it it like sold before I could even go to see it because the market is like crazy hot right now (laughs) um and like I was like I started thinking like wow I would love to have a yard and a garage (laughs) like things like that and then I kind of Like I got pre-approved for a mortgage and shit. And then it sort of happened very quickly after that. But I was telling a friend of mine um, who's just like started looking for houses, like I got so lucky as like a first time single home buyer because I've been here like three months now and I don't have like any regrets about the house I ended up with, which is like feels very lucky and like weird (laughs) and probably uncommon for like their first time home buyer. But I'm like, damn, I really did that. Yeah, that's kind of I did kind of win.
0: And you had to be so sure that you wanted to stay too. Like, how are you so sure that you knew that you wanted to stay in St. Paul?
1: Especially because you
0: had recently moved there, right?
1: Yeah, I was in St. Paul about a year um, before I bought my house and I just like fucking love it. I'm like a St. Paul supremacist. (laughs) Um, I know like Minneapolis is like where it's at for like young people, but I'm like a very old young person. And I like, don't go out a whole lot, like pandemic notwithstanding, I'm not like a goer outer. <laughs> yeah. um, St. Paul is just like a little quieter, a little slower moving. And there are like a shitload of parks and stuff, which I love for my dog. Um, and it's just like, I don't know, like I just liked it here and it felt right. And I love my job and like didn't see myself moving in like five years or changing my job in the next five years. So I was like, okay. If this, is, if this feels right now, I can like give it a shot. And like worst case scenario, I changed my mind and I have to sell my house, but um,
0: it yeah. worked
1: out. I was kind of like dumb faced that like, this is probably gonna work.
0: I will say, I don't know that much about St. Paul or honestly that much about you, but based on what little I know about you and St. Paul, like it makes so much sense. Like <laughs> I'm like obsessed with it. I just feel like I can just, I don't know why but i have this vision of um of st paul as being like as close as minnesota will ever get to like the pacific northwest like obviously not that far but like interesting i don't do you agree with that or do you think that's like totally trash i've been to st paul like twice so it could be completely yeah i don't know
1: (laughs) i haven't been to the pacific northwest so i cannot speak to that angle but i think it really does combine like like city living with like very like wholesome kind of like crunchy granola person, like.
0: Yeah, that's where I, I was know. trying to like go with the Pacific yeah, Northwest thing, yeah.
1: It's like so charming and just like a little bit slower paced. Well, to me, it's like significantly slower paced than Minneapolis, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, like it's, it's just so charming to me.
0: Yeah, and you have a gig there that's, so you, you mentioned that you were doing this, this publishing thing, which is like totally separate and is in, um, in Stevens Point. And then your gig in in Minnesota is with the Little Free Library. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's actually in Hudson. So that's right across the border, but like basically Minnesota.
0: Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know I mean, that. So wait, is it, yeah. a, is it like a state? I mean, Little Free Libraries are everywhere, right?
1: Yeah, like, it's international. In
0: oh, okay. International. Yeah, because I guess like you were probably going to do this, but it's those little like I, I, how do you describe them? Maybe you have better words for it. I, I don't know how to... We,
1: our, like, go-to explanation is, like, it's like a little birdhouse or a, a mailbox that you put books in and people exchange books in it.
0: Okay, extremely accurate. Because I, I saw one in my, like, the town that I live in now, like, in Germany. I don't know if it literally said Little Free Library or if it's just, like, a similar thing that's not, like, run by the... Like, I don't know exactly um because I can't read it because it's in German but I was like oh my god they're everywhere they're literally everywhere there's I've actually seen multiple here which is wild that's so cool
1: I love that like um literally the week before everything in the states like ground to a halt because of the pandemic so like a week ago last year basically we celebrated but
0: yeah yeah I know
1: (laughs) we celebrated our 100,000th little free library installation um, which so there's like a hundred over a hundred thousand little free libraries worldwide and that's like just the registered ones that like our organization knows about and there are like tons more that have like nothing to do with us but are like doing the same thing which is really cool
0: yeah um, that's so many I would not have anticipated because I feel like I don't, I always saw them in Madison there's like so many especially yeah. near campus Um, but like for example like my hometown I don't I'm not aware of one there I mean I haven't been there for a yeah. like years so I guess there could be by now
1: one of the founders i think was from madison or lived in madison so like a ton are in madison a ton are in like hudson stillwater area um twin cities there's like tons of them so it's kind of like like waves out from there basically
0: yeah it originated there my favorite um, my favorite grab from a little free library was that i got the fountainhead by ayn rand from it
1: oh my god <laughs> the, the ayn rand foundation reached out to us recently and was like we want to add books to uh, Little Free Libraries. Like, let's work together. And I like deleted it because I was like, I'm not even going to respond to this. And then I think they emailed back again because my boss mentioned it in a meeting and was like, the Ayn Rand Foundation wants to work with us. And I was like, oh shit, you got that too? (laughs) He was like, you got it and (laughs) deleted it. But yeah, like, they're like such a weird little, like they're their own like biome each yeah, one like, is like
0: different who who just like decides that they're gonna start working for the ayn rand foundation like i want to meet these people i really do want to meet these people i'm a <laughs> i bit can hook you up i can
1: probably find <laughs> just forward me the Nathan. email
0: yeah well, <laughs> actually i should go on linkedin and like search like
1: do it. just search
0: for the company i could be like, just, like we don't
1: want to work with you but i know a guy who is so interested <laughs> in what you're doing
0: he just wants to talk like one? <laughs> I'll have them on OomphCast, they'll have to follow <laughs> first, but that'd be so exciting. So 100,000, like, do you know how many of those are not in America, like, approximately? Is it, like, mostly an American thing? I feel like, because when I saw one in Europe, I was like, okay, yeah, this makes so much sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're mostly, like, in North America, but I think they're, like, I don't know what the exact number is. I could, like, look it up, but I know we're in, like, 110 different countries including the U S which is pretty crazy there. I like, I know there are a ton in like Italy specifically, um, and France. I don't know like why they are like crazy popular in certain European countries, but, um, like I do all the mapping requests. So when people put them on the map, I like approve those. Um, and I see tons that are like in Italy and France, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that is cool. I, I saw some in like, yeah, I've seen quite a few, actually, in, in different German cities, but I don't think it's, like, as popping here as it was, like, for example, in, in Madison, where I would see them, like, on every corner or something. Yeah. but I suppose, like, being near a university is also a thing. But how often do you get, like, organizations or publishers or something, like, reaching out? Because it seems strange to me. Like, I get that kind of the point of it is that it's supposed to be an exchange between, like, individuals in the community. And so, like, the Ayn Rand Foundation reaching out and being like, hey, can we just plant some of our like <laughs> literature in your in your bird boxes like is that normal do you normally allow that
1: um it's kind of like because they are so basically every single little free library is managed by an individual volunteer who we call a steward um and basically like it's up to them what they want to put in their library so like if a steward was interested in having shit from the Iron Rand Foundation they could Um, but like, as far as like actual, like professional relationships, we typically only work with like big five publishers. So like Simon and Schuster, HarperCollins, Penguin Random House. Um, and they kind of, the way we work with them varies like every single time, usually it's like, Hey, we are publishing this book and we want to give out a hundred copies and then like. Little Free Library, the organization, like facilitates that. So we're like, hey, there are 100 copies of this available. Enter the giveaway, and that's usually how that kind of goes.
0: Okay, yeah, because I did. I guess I didn't realize that this could be like a promo opportunity for publishers because you're gonna get yeah, it super is like, and like got um, to grab books,
1: right? Yeah, and like self published authors and even just like regular authors who have like a ton of like advanced reading copies like to leave their books in Little Free Libraries because um like even if someone doesn't take it they're still like seeing it which is kind of cool so we could we could put tons of copies of your book in little free libraries right?
0: <laughs> people just pick it up and be like um okay like <laughs> Actually, but I've never thought of this before, but now that you've said that, I'm definitely going to take one of the like 800 million copies of my book that I have and like put them in like German little free libraries and just see what happens. I love because that. Because I stayed at an Airbnb recently and it had like a little bedside table and I left one in the bedside table. I've also left one on the train before. I don't know. I just think it's exciting. But instead of I like that. just leaving them in random places, it might be more appropriate. Yeah. To go to a little free library. I'm gonna have to like yeah make a note of that i'm gonna do that i'll make a video i'll that's post so it on cool. twitter me placing my obnoxious <laughs> book in the in the little free library
1: it's Ready? gonna become a european sensation
0: <laughs> like all of the books in there are, are german it'll be the only english book so that's the thing is like if if an english speaker goes through there then they'll be like oh my god this is the only book i can actually read so they might pick it up oh yeah
1: that's like really interesting because i you know, like our organization, we have like a dozen people on staff and we're based in Wisconsin. So like, we have this international reach, but like, we don't have like an office in the UK or in Europe or in Canada or anything. Mm -hmm. So like our understanding and our outreach for like people who are not in the US or not in English speaking countries is like very limited right now. And I think like, We kind of assume, like, in European countries, like, obviously there will be books in the language that people are natively speaking there, but we're, like, so, like, even I, when I think about books and I, like, handle a lot of the book stuff, like, I would bet that there would be more English books in those libraries than it sounds like there are. So that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, because if you go to, like, a bookstore here, they'll have plenty of books that are in English. And, like, especially because the university has so many English-speaking programs, like, there are a lot of, I don't know, there's, like, a lot of literature that's written in English around, but I I literally saw zero of them when I I went. I looked through, I think, every single book at the the one that I visited, and there were no English ones.
1: That's wild. whoever's
0: curating it was probably, like, German books only. The (laughs) steward, that steward was, like, a... They wanted me to learn german so bad they super do (laughs) so when it comes to you know
1: what i oh yeah one second i noticed that you and i don't know if this is something you did pre-cast but i noticed you say yeah yeah a lot um do you think that's like a thing you're picking up in germany
0: i definitely just i have also noticed that when i go through and edit this every single time before i speak i always say yeah or or i guess double yeah which i didn't know um but I think that I've just always done that. That's okay. just my yeah, initial response to everything is to just agree and then say what I, was I, what I wanted to say. I feel like even if I, mean, I, I like, disagree with something, I'll be like, yeah, yeah. But actually, like, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. just like my default. <laughs> right. But yeah, I've noticed that. I've noticed like so many quirks about my speech that are really awful. But and I, you would think that once you know that you're doing it, you can stop yourself but I- It's so hard to break myself. those
1: vocal habits. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Like, I feel like it will happen eventually, but it's going to be such a slow-going process. Like, oomphcast in 2025, I'll be speaking like a normal person, maybe, if we're lucky.
1: Nobody. that's not really the vibe here, though, is it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go to, like, NPR vibes. I hate <laughs> that. I hate that. Like, when someone puts on NPR and you can literally hear, like- the saliva swishing around in their mouth and they're talking like a robot, it like gives me a headache. I hate it. I'm yeah, so that's, It's like no fun. Yeah. It's also like, I am less likely to listen to what you're saying. I don't know because I feel like they're trying to give news or something, but if you don't have like, I don't know, have a, have a take, have a personality. I don't want to just hear like some <laughs> factual stuff. I don't know. That's like a personal bias. I want I, I want to hear everything from like some super opinionated person, which is probably not the best, but <laughs> when it comes to like you, I know it seems like you spend a lot of your personal time reading as well. And you're like into books. What type of books do you usually read?
1: I have like forgotten how to read like post-college. like Oh, really? Just... Okay. So I
0: was wrong. It's just that your, your entire career is like about books.
1: Well, I like will pick up a book and like try to read, but my attention span is so fried. It's just like totally useless. So I like, I love reading. It just takes so much more for me to like get into a book now. Um, But I do like a lot of like short stories um, and like literary fiction, contemporary stuff. Um, But yeah, I am like so, so bad at like actually sitting down and reading a book. I'll just be like bored out of my mind, scrolling my phone and I'm like, oh, I wish there's something I could do. And then I remember that I could read a book and I'm like, holy shit, get it together.
0: <laughs> do you think that has to do with working in like I guess the literature, I don't what would you call the industry?
1: Well, I like work in like the nonprofit sector, but it's mm-hmm. like literacy basically.
0: Yeah. Um do you feel like working I, in that capacity has like like some people are like, "Oh, I loved it until I started working in it. Now I hate it." But I don't get that vibe.
1: No, I like I love it so much and like working directly with books, like I get exposed to so many more new books. and I'm like, I want to read that. I, like my brain just won't go. I think it's like a lot of it is like pandemic fatigue as mm-hmm. much as like people use that phrase and like abuse it. But like I think I just don't have the brain power to do that kind of stuff, even though I really like it.
0: It's so true because when you don't have the little break of like socializing it's really hard to sit down and just like do something that's very quiet at least for me like i find it much harder to study now than i ever did in college because i'm like always by myself and there's nothing ever breaking the mundanity and it just makes it so much harder like if i have social experiences it's so much easier for me to like put my head down every once in a while and be like okay
1: yeah um. and like i've been working from home for over a year now so it's like okay if i want to read it am i like reading in my office where i work or in my bedroom where I get, where I rest, or like in the kitchen where I like everything is like right here. So, it, like, there's no like breaks between like leisure and rest and work that I think like makes it complicated to like turn my brain off of like work mode and into like relaxing, creative, like hobby kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely. My desk here and my desk um, in New York when I started working from home. I had such a complicated relationship with both of them, or I still do have a complicated relationship with my desk because I do like literally everything here. It's so sad how much time I spend in this one chair in my bedroom.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm it's like so sad. grateful <laughs> that I at least have like a separate space for it now. But like when I moved into my house, um, one of my first like renovation projects was in my bedroom and I, it was like not livable while I was working on it. So I was like sleeping in the office and in the, in the guest bed or whatever. So for like six weeks, I was like working and sleeping in the same room and it drove me insane.
0: Yeah, yikes. I have, yeah, I'm jealous that you have like a house because I have, I mean, it's essentially a studio and it's like kind of driving me crazy, but whatever. You have roommates
1: or are you, you're on your own?
0: It's like a weird thing where we, like I share a kitchen but then I have like my own door that locks and then my own room and my own bathroom. And like my roommates also have their own room and their own bathroom. So it's like not quite having roommates. Right. But kind it, of like, a, like a
1: sweet situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so um, annoying though, because like, I just found out that if I could have had a single apartment, like a fully single apartment in my complex for actually five euros cheaper a month. Rather, <laughs> like it's more expensive to share, which I just found out. And I'm like, okay, why am I here? This is so weird. But, Do you
1: have like relationships with anybody that you live like? Kind of with or not really.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I don't have my both of my roommates are actually like first just finished their first semester of their freshman year of college. So they're like oh, okay. six years younger than me or something. I mean, we, obviously, we like get along and it's pleasant or whatever, but it's not like we spend any time together. Um, but right. then there's someone in my program that lives in my building, which is super nice because we like get along like super well and we hang out all the time. So Thank God for that, because if I didn't have yeah. her in this building, I would be so lonely all the time. Like, yikes. I don't even <laughs> know where I would be if I was just like You're actually You're like alone. already
1: like so bold and brave for just being like, I'm going to go to Germany for school. Just like everything you do. I'm like, Matt is just fucking doing it. <laughs> just like whatever he's interested in, he's going to ask about or like go do it. And that's like so cool. That's so the opposite of me.
0: Yeah, thank you. I I definitely, like, people say that to me sometimes, and I'm like, okay, yeah, like, I get it. If you can, if you think it's good, then yes, like, believe that, please. I want you to believe that. But also, it is, like, because I'm perpetually dissatisfied with everything, you know? Like, it's, I'll just pick up everything and go do something else because I'm, like, to some extent that's like so
1: much of classic literature you could definitely write like fiction
0: (laughs) or like auto fiction the same oh my god another auto fiction shout out I literally didn't know what that was until I talked to Ramona about it
1: (laughs) I that's literally I that came to mind because of your episode with Ramona like I I knew what that was kind of but like her explaining it again I was like okay yes that's what that means but like your your vibe is very much like 30s, like American expatriate in in Europe, like move there for the culture and like cheaper living. And it's yeah. like, that's exactly what Matt is. Matt is Hemingway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's literally me. No, I'm at a crossroads right now trying to figure out whether I'm going to stay here after I graduate or just move back, because obviously the cost of living here is great. And I would like to just not get like a nine to five and just ball out here because here it's like very feasible to freelance and like I could I could pretty easily easily live by freelancing or just like otherwise not having a nine to five but that's
1: so fucking cool how long is your program
0: it's supposed to be two years uh so I'm hoping to graduate in two years but like hardly anyone actually accomplishes that usually takes longer so we'll see I'm not really sure I have a while to figure it out so right I don't know i have like i literally have like a piece of paper that has a web of things that i could do like directions i could go and it's like so messy and complicated and awful and i look at it and i'm like wow like how exciting that i have all these different things that i could do but also like how terrifying that i have no oh it's like
1: debilitating that's like matt i literally have my first tattoo i got when i was like the dig after i turned 18 is like a sylvia plath tribute about um, it's a fig tree, and she has this fig tree metaphor in *The Bell Jar*, where it's like I'm standing at a fig tree, and like every branch has like a different option for my life. And the longer I wait to choose one, they like start to rot and drop off. And like the fear of like trying to figure out what you want to do, ultimately like eliminating those options for you. So like I get that you're, I'm really getting like the literary references that. Are underlying your struggle.
0: <laughs> it's so as a true. Young person. I I make an effort to just incorporate literary things into my everyday <laughs> praxis. It's it's not just because like those are things that happen to everyone. It's because I'm <laughs> and special and there needs to be a book written about me exactly.
1: We'll have to work on it.
0: <laughs> so let's return to we we said we were going to return to this the the time when your university tried to kill education. This was like a whole era. <laughs> it's a whole era on Twitter. You were like having a battle with your university. So can you just walk through like what exactly the problem was?
1: Yeah, so my senior year at Stevens Point, um in 2018, they administration um rolled out this like budget plan that was basically the plan was to cut 13 majors and all of them were in the humanities and like focus more on like STEM. And the the position they were taking was like, STEM is like career prep and these humanities courses like just aren't as important. And as an English major, I got like very fired up about that and so did like
0: so many people. So Wait, can we do I don't a, can even- can we do a brief like major reveal? Like was English one of the majors that was on the docket to get cut?
1: It was.
0: What about like, I don't know why I'm, well, I'm curious about philosophy do you know if that was on philosophy
1: I I don't philosophy was either on the table or was already gone by that point
0: oh yikes they already didn't have philosophy maybe that's I mean I think it was like like
1: in a previous budget cut potentially mm -hmm. it might but I think it might have still been there but I think that was like philosophy did end up getting cut
0: okay um and then also wondering about sociology don't know why those just popped into my mind
1: sociology was also on the list Okay. Get cut.
0: Good to know. Okay. So they proposed to cut these 13 and then you start some drama with them.
1: Yeah. I don't even like remember how I got connected with like this group of like student organizers who ultimately was like the core group organizing against like administration basically. But we were like, it was like a handful of English majors and a bunch of other people We were all pissed off and we're like, okay, we're going to meet and we're going to do something about it. And it ended up being like, we had this like huge event on campus again, like, uh, we're like close to the like third anniversary of that whole thing kicking off. Um, Everything terrible happens in March, I guess. Um, (laughs) But we like got together and we organized this event and like hundreds of people showed up and it got tons of news coverage, like, Washington Post interviewed us about it. And it was like in like higher ed, which is like a journal for dorks who care about higher education. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like this huge thing about like, what do we value in higher ed? And like there, there were like so many different facets of it. And like our administration was being so shitty and just like dismissive of like student concerns and professor concerns. And like nobody had really been, like, consulted about this budget plan. So we just, like, kept slinging shit back at them. And they, like, (laughs) I don't know, like, if this is true at every university or just, like, a small school that, like, has time on their hands. But anytime I would, like, tweet about it, it would get, like, flagged. And then, like, my, and I'm air quoting, my boss with the press on campus would be, like, hey can we talk about this tweet they're not happy about it and like what?
0: that's so petty
1: i know and i was like supposed to get a grant to like work with the press over the summer after i graduated and then like the funding disappeared mysteriously and i'm like very suspicious that it was because i was like talking shit about admin for that entire year but
0: yeah i remember you like... were popping off like you were really going at them i mean in my opinion it was like warranted but it was, this was yeah, like a whole saga.
1: Yeah, and it like ended up working out that I think like ultimately this original budget plan didn't go through. They did end up cutting some programs, but it was like way fewer than the original plan. And like the overall, they ended up like reorganizing more than like cutting things. So it ended up like worth the fight or whatever, but it was like such a shit show. But it was also like, very much, like, my radicalization moment that, like, I think shaped who I am as an adult.
0: Yeah. So what exactly was it that they were proposing? So were they just going to, like, cut these things for the next academic year or something? Like, that seems so abrupt. Was it, were they going to phase them out?
1: Basically, it was, like, if you are, um, I think maybe, like, a junior or, like, junior equivalent, in these programs, like you would be able to finish with your degree, but it was like phasing out. And like the initial plan was like next academic year, like we're gonna be out this many professors from those um, departments. So like the classes like wouldn't even be available for you to finish your degree, even though that was like the promise if you were like at a certain point. So it was like, okay, so if nobody's teaching these classes, like we actually can't finish our degree if it, if nobody's teaching the classes that we need, but it was like, it wasn't like an immediate thing. Like the, the, the majors weren't like off the table immediately. It was just like, okay, we're downsizing and no new people will be entering this major.
0: Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, I was going to say that makes sense. I don't think it makes sense, but that's clearer. (laughs) I understand maybe what they were going for. And this, this was coming from, The administration of the university i'm guessing like like what was i mean maybe they had this justification about like oh this is going to prepare people for the job market i feel like people like to use economic justifications like okay yeah we want to bring money into this community or into the state or something like that and this was also in like the scott walker era right so i'm sure it was Mm -hmm. all this was like all connected because technically it was the university that had made this decision about how they were going to allocate their own funding right but it right, there was also yeah. like this so, larger thing in wisconsin about education being fucked up and not getting any money yeah
1: so like scott walker kept making giant cuts to like uw system funding mm. the board of regents were is like mostly walker appointed so it was like people whose jobs were to advocate for higher ed just like continuing to shit on higher ed and like making bad decisions that like ultimately put pressure on like chancellors and deans at like the university level and um enrollment was way down at Stevens Point I think like they averaged like 10,000 students for a long time and we were down at like eight like seven to eight thousand so that was like really spreading the budgets in I guess um but yeah the idea was like get rid of all these stupid humanities majors that nobody cares about and put a little bit of extra money, like use that money and then funnel some additional money into like, they have, they built this like brand new science building and they were going to add some majors in there, I think. Um, But it was definitely like, we need to pivot to STEM.
0: I feel like this is a common thread, like, you know, funds get allocated to STEM because, well, there are literally government programs that allocate money to STEM fields, right? Like they provide additional right. funding or something. If, if there's a promise that it will go towards STEM or something like that. right, this.
1: Yeah, I think like the new building that they were building for the like science majors was mostly like state or federal funded, which like fine. Um, it was just like like this huge expensive state of the art building. Every other building on campus is shit. And like a very clear like disregard for like the value of the arts we talked about a lot. And another one of our arguments was like gender breakdowns within like the humanities, you know, like a lot of female students are in the humanities and a lot of international students are in the humanities and like first first generation college students end up in the humanities. Um, So we had like all those arguments about like what students do you value and why um and they of course like did not have answers for that because like what are you going to do with an art degree like that's the whole argument you know
0: yeah the thing with that is like i don't know i have this whole thing i mean this isn't my thing this is common knowledge but like everyone is super overqualified for every job like when i got my first job i was like wait a minute i could have done this when i was 18. i literally didn't need to go to college in order to do my first job And so it's not like, oh, we need a workforce that has a certain type of education because that's what's needed for the job. It's because that's what's needed to get the job. Right, exactly. We could just kind of change the standards and allow people to study things that they enjoy or that are useful in other ways. But instead, we've just decided that we're going to have this continuously, like, I don't maybe raising the bar is not necessarily the right word because I think it's, you know, I don't want to say that STEM is like a higher bar than than humanities but it's sort of like okay let's let's keep going in this like competition thing so that our students can be better than other students but like if we took a bigger picture at everything we could be like hey let's collectively step back and like make sure that our students are happy because ultimately you can graduate with a fucking i got a philosophy degree and like i'm fine like i don't yeah it's like i think like the stem
1: shit is like more quantitative on like so many different levels like students are graduating and getting more money at an entry-level job um and like that's like the main thing like there are more stem jobs because technology is advancing and like the like financial angle is just like it makes sense i get it but it's also like how many fucking like paper science majors do we need if like we're not printing shit on paper anymore like it's it doesn't add up and it also is like so insulting to like like humanities majors and like the value that they have not even just in like humanities related fields but like people who consult for like tech companies so they don't make like racist (laughs) technology and shit like that like that is also a piece of the pie
0: yeah yeah exactly especially because of what everyone does for their job at least like in my experience like I gradu- I could have graduated with literally any major, probably, and I still would have ended up working in tech. Like that's just like how it played right. out. Like it literally yeah. did not matter. Like I could have majored in anything, but like also being in school isn't just about like what exactly you're learning in the classroom. Like I feel like there are so many people who have a very limited view of education and just think like oh, it only matters what degree you get. But like if those people who are getting like engineering degrees that are really time consuming are unable to do anything else outside of the classroom then they're not going to be like a well-rounded person when they graduate which to me is like an important part of going to college because i changed a lot in college and like that's because i had the time to change because i wasn't like killing myself in the lab or whatever it is that the stem heads do
1: yeah definitely and like people who like excel in careers don't necessarily have like formal training like it comes from like boots on the ground experience that you can't necessarily get in a classroom so like like i don't know if it's like an american thing or like a western hemisphere thing but the belief that like formal education and like certain forms of formal education is the end-all be-all to success is so fucking (laughs) infuriating to me
0: yeah i agree and actually it's so funny like i mean this is very well known that this happens at the collegiate level but in my hometown in Owatonna, Minnesota, population twenty five thousand, there's a elementary school. So there there are five elementary schools, like public elementary schools, and one of them is like a designated STEM elementary school.
1: Like, oh what God. does that
0: even mean? Like,
1: yeah, what are the like, students
0: what... doing? What makes yeah it like STEM? what do you, what is
1: the fourth grader doing? Like, either to like, like is the kid like I want to be an astronaut, so their parents send them to that school, or is it like like tracking and testing through the school that they're like this kid's good at math he's got to go to the stem school like that's uh, su- <laughs> i don't know how... that puts kids at such a at such a disadvantage at such an early age i hate that
0: yeah i think it's not like like your your elementary school that you attend is based on where you live so it's not like oh let's right. take our stem oriented kids and put them here because you would have to make the evaluation of whether or not they were a stem student when they were literally what five years old it doesn't make any sense um, right. But I'm, I'm sure it was just like, hey, the government was just like, hey, if you offer this, this and this and steer kids towards a STEM career, then we'll give you additional funding. Like, to me, that's that has to be how it worked out. I mean, I could be wrong, but yeah. I don't see what other reason that, makes there sense. Would be that it would be like a officially designated STEM school. Yikes. So we got to stop yeah. that from happening like at all levels. God, that was that was such praxis.
1: We really, we really went off.
0: So I also want to talk about my favorite thing that this has been like a, a theme for you on Twitter that I've identified is that you, and I've pointed it out to you before that you always say that you've like, you're drunk off of four beers. <laughs> <laughs> like if you go on Twitter and you search like your handle and then like four beers, you get like an, a disturbing number of results. <laughs> oh <my God.
1: laughs> I think I've like done that before. Like one time when you mentioned it to me, I was like, oh fuck, I gotta go look and it was it was disturbing. Yeah. I'm Are you just like, like a
0: beer head? Are you into well, beer?
1: It's complicated because I'm gluten intolerant. So like when I and I'm like a total square, like I mentioned, I don't go out and I am like an old young person, but like I did not like party in high school. Like my first beer I ever had was like with my parents. I didn't party much in college at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so like not only am I a su- super lightweight, but I just like beer is like easy and accessible. But then like after college, I realized I was gluten intolerant. So like beer really fucks me up. So I can drink like gluten free beer now, but like the selection is so limited. So like I, I love a beer, but I have to be very careful about it.
0: Yeah, I didn't even know that gluten-free beer existed, honestly. I mean, it's not something that you would know of, I guess, unless you were seeking it out, but
1: Right. Yeah. It's like very limited and it's like fine.
0: Do you like ever I... do you ever like drink wine? I feel like that doesn't have gluten- well, it doesn't have gluten. I don't I don't know it has gluten, honestly.
1: It doesn't. I've like gotten more into wine recently. My boyfriend is like big into wine. So if we're gonna like drink on a Friday night, we usually get like a box of wine. But I just like crave a beer every once in a while, and it's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Wait. Do you ever go to when you said that you got a box of wine? I was just imagining the massive Minnesota warehouse that is Total Wine. Have you been? Yes. To it? We were just there
1: last had... last weekend.
0: <sighs> yes, I miss it so much. It's like for for the unaware, it's like the Sam's Club of alcohol, I guess, or like what is. Not everyone knows what Sam's Club is. Whatever. It's like a big it's warehouse like with cheap It's just like a alcohol.
1: huge liquor store.
0: Yeah. Like, like everything you could ever huge. want. It's huge. I love Total Wine. I remember going there and getting, like, I think I would come home from Wisconsin where I didn't have, like, easy access. Honestly, like, most people didn't have a car at my university, so we yeah. we would just walk to, like, the liquor store or whatever. But then I would go back to Minnesota for, like, a break or whatever, and then I would literally drop, like, over $100 at Total Wine because it's so cheap. And then I would take it yeah. like to school with me.
1: It is. It's like appeals to like all the worst parts of me that are like, yeah, I want to spend a hundred. We literally, between my boyfriend and I, we spent a hundred dollars on beer and wine and like cider at Total Wine this past weekend.
0: I'm so upset. And we
1: got like super, super hammered on Friday and had the worst hangover on Saturday. And I was like, <laughs> fuck and it's i'm been... like like i said like i'm not like a heavy drinker or a partier at all we just like sit and drink and like play scrabble and then we're hung over the next day and we like watch youtube all day
0: <laughs> that's been such a quarantine thing for me is like i never used to like pretty much if i was drinking i was going out i think for the most part but then now like hanging out with one person and getting like really drunk is a new kind of a new like quarantine experience or at least happens with more frequency now and like it's definitely fun but i'm kind of like okay like we need to switch this up sometimes i just wake up the next day and i was like for what like i just yeah. got super drunk and like i didn't go anywhere didn't do anything i mean it's still fun but it's just Yeah that's like
1: fun but like it's like more depressing the next day because you're like Shit.
0: Yeah, it's like I ruined my day so that I could, like, hang out with the one person that I was going to hang out with if I was sober anyway and, like, do roughly the same things. (laughs) Yeah. But since, like, having a house – so, okay, the ways in which you're established, it's kind of astounding to me. Has a dog, has a house, in a relationship, like, do you have these, like, homebody – so the thing about having a house to me is, like, I hate, hate, like, shoveling – mowing the lawn, doing manual labor and things like that. Do you find that those are chores? Or are you like one of those people who's like, yes, I love being a homeowner. Like, let me go in my garden and do that type it's of thing. It's like,
1: I like also hate doing chores. Um, but fortunately, like my property is small. So like shoveling sucks, but it's pretty quick. And like, I've only been here since December. So I have not had to deal with the lawn yet. Um, but it's like it's like equal parts annoying chores and also exciting because it's like my first full year so like i have big plans for a garden this year which i think will be cool like i feel like summer chores i'm like way more comfortable with because it's like at least not freezing outside Mm -hmm. um and like last weekend my boyfriend like raked the whole yard because he was like i just want to clean it up and i was like you super can because. I won't rake it otherwise. (laughs) So there's, like, stuff I'm comfortable being, like, I'm not gonna do that, like, lawn care shit because I don't care. But other stuff, like, my garden that I'm, like, really stoked about. Hopefully I don't kill everything.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. Like, I feel like I am finally getting to the point where I'm, like, okay, I wouldn't have a garden, but, like, I would grow an herb or something. Like...
1: Yeah, I like, in the pandemic, too, it's been... I remember like very early on people were like here's how you can have a container garden in your kitchen to like regrow onions so you like don't have to go to the store.
0: And mm, I was yeah. like, "Damn, that's cool as hell." We're like and Now I get tell like do to it large scale. Right. So you can it's like start a so little commune, like never leave your yard. It's like <laughs> That's how and... I
1: feel. <laughs> I love it.
0: Yeah, I feel like that fits the vibe. Oh, do you have like How granola is your neighborhood? Like, is it like, okay, here's a food co-op. Like, here's the whatever, like art gallery, or is it like more normal? Because like I said, I've hardly spent any time in St. Paul. So I don't know like what the vibe is.
1: Yeah. So I live in my neighborhood is Summit University, um, which is by and large, like pretty bougie. Like there's like a Whole Foods and a co-op, but that's like on the south side of the highway and I live on the north side, which is like much more residential, like low to middle income families, um, like close to University Avenue. So it's like lots of like little businesses and like the train stop and shit like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like one thing I learned about my neighborhood was that it used to be like basically the hub of like black families in st paul and then when they expanded i-94 they basically destroyed this neighborhood and displaced like 300 families and a shitload of businesses so there's this like initiative called um reconnect rondo that's like focused on like reparations and restoration because of like all of like the black families that were displaced um and businesses so it's like
0: mm-hmm.
1: bringing that back so it's like the neighborhood doesn't get gentrified it's like going back into the hands of like the families that were there which i think is really cool but it's like very residential here there's like a school two blocks away yeah it's like not a not my part of the summit university neighborhood is like not trendy at all but like on the opposite side of the highway it super is
0: yeah i think it's yeah i don't know it's like nice to have access to both Yeah, because I've always felt like I've lived in areas that were like really, I guess, like residential and quiet, but like near near things that I actually wanted to do, because I don't know, like I know people who live above like a bar or something like or in New York, like people who live like in the Lower East Side where it's just like crazy all the time. And I'm like, I don't know, I thought I wanted that at one point, but I feel like in order to make that feasible, you have to live like really high up off the street, which is like, I don't know if I want that. Because yeah. now I've grown to appreciate like residential neighborhoods like much more because I always thought like, oh, I'm just going to go like live in some fucking skyscraper. But then I a found out that I couldn't afford it. But B found out that like, it's also nice to be able to like go outside and like have neighbors in a normal way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am like, so I have always been just like growing up in a small town, like terrified of like the big city life, just like not interested in it at all. And like intimidated by it and so like when I was growing up and I was like really interested in like books and publishing like all the jobs are in New York I was like okay so that's not going to happen for me probably
0: oh yeah um
1: but there's like a really cool tight um literary scene in the Twin Cities and like this size of a city makes so much more sense for me and like like I mentioned like everyone in Wisconsin knows each other like everyone in the Twin Cities knows each other too which is like really sweet. Like so many of my so many of my oomphs are like people I met on Twitter <laughs> through like Twin Cities Twitter.
0: Yes, that's so cool. Yeah, I feel like I didn't find like the the oomph to IRL pipeline until like in I don't know, like last year or so. I mean, that's not entirely true, but it is cool. Like when like when I moved to New York, I was like like the initial way that I met people was literally off of Twitter and I was like, wait a minute, like this isn't just like just a stupid app on my phone that I post on. I mean, it's that, but it's also, like, has a right. consequential yeah. impact on my life. Yeah, but, and,
1: like, everyone's in New York, so you struck gold.
0: Yeah, I know. It, like, really worked out. But what is, like, what does Minneapolis Twitter look like? Like, is it people who, like, I don't I guess, like, how do you find people? Because I feel like, for me, it was just, like, okay, I followed a bunch of gay people, and then they just, like, happened to live in New York.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, for me, I think it was, like, um... So, like, book people in the Twin Cities. So, like, the publishing houses here are run by, like, 15 to 20 people. So, like, you find someone interesting or, like, someone who, like, an author who was published by one of these small um, publishing houses. And I would, like, follow them. And then I got a little more involved, like, with the, like, local political scene last spring with George Floyd's murder. And then it was, like, okay, so who, like, the major... Media outlets are like not giving the full story. So, who is and like people on like city council I follow now and I like understand kind of how that works and like who's doing the right thing and who's not. And then there's like people who are like super into like bikes and shit and are like lobbying for sorry, if you could hear that, that was Petunia waking up. Um, but just like crunchy like people who like bikes and like farmers markets and like books and care about like social justice and mutual aid. I like kind of found those people in large part because of the murder of George Floyd and like getting involved with mutual aid efforts here. Um, And then it's kind of like this person knows this person that I'm like kind of interested in the same stuff.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird how the network just, like, once you reach a certain point, it just happens automatically. Like, you just yeah. find out that you have, like, 20 mutual followers with some random person, and then it's like, okay, yeah, this is because we're, like, the same person. And then it just keeps going like that. Well, I guess, okay, it doesn't keep going. It eventually stops. But it is kind of wild how that, like, works out.
1: Right. It was, like, the, the main way that I felt, like, connected to the Twin Cities after I moved here, because it was, like, I moved and it was winter and then in the spring, the pandemic started. So it was like, I didn't get to like have a social life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yikes. Yeah, that's like, I also, I mean like moving during the pandemic has been so, I mean, really tragic for me because I also like don't speak the language here. So it's just like incredibly alienating. Like I can't imagine, I mean, I guess, I mean, I did it. So I guess I can't imagine it. But like if I were to move somewhere and feel like I was trying to like actually like plant seeds and like live there for a really long time, I would be like, oh God, I don't know what to do. But I guess thanks to the oomph network, it's like not that tragic.
1: Thank God for oomphs.
0: Literally, thank you oomphies. So I also saw that like, what was it? Two or three days ago, you got a a new tattoo that was like your, your dog ears.
1: Yeah, so like everything, I guess, like in March when the pandemic popped off, like literally the first week I was working from home, um, I adopted my dog Petunia. And so we like just celebrated our one year anniversary and I knew I wanted like a tattoo for her, but like I didn't know what I wanted and I'm like kind of weird about my tattoos because I'm like a very like boring mom type, but I have like tattoos to like edge me up. <laughs> but they probably super don't. But so I thought about I call her P. Um, so I thought about just like getting a P, but I couldn't decide on anything. And then I saw on Pinterest, which is the greatest social network, um, this like tattoo. Wait, are that you like a Pinterester? Like I'm like, like so casual about it, but every time I go back, I'm like yes. And then I saw someone post like a tweet on like an Instagram story that was like. Pinterest is the best social media because it's the media without the social, and I was like, that's exactly it.
0: It's yeah. like just
1: media. I don't <laughs> it's know. It's like much Tumblr, about but it, less but... toxic.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's no discourse. It's just like pics of shit, really, right?
1: Yeah. Or, or unless I, I you're like. I've
0: never used it, so I don't really know. I have an idea, but... it's
1: like a lot of like you can find literally like you with your many interests, you would like find things that you're interested in on on Pinterest, but. It, it is like basically like photo based and like connected to links and shit yeah
0: yeah. um
1: but I and it's like a good way to organize like ideas and like plan stuff so I have like a Pinterest board with like tattoo inspiration and I found like someone had had like two dogs and got like outlines of their ears um tattooed with their names and Petunia's like one of her like iconic features is her ears because they just like pop up and flip around and shit so I was like okay I gotta do the ears and I like the day or two before I got the tattoo I got like a really good picture with her ears up and I was like okay that's the one so I went with it and I'm like so glad I did I love it it's iconic
0: yeah I feel like that's so much more like I don't know it's a bit unique because some people just get like I've seen people get like what are supposed to be um realistic tattoos of their dog like their dog's face or something yeah and i'm like yeah i hate "Mm, that like this isn't entirely realistic like i don't know i feel like it's just very hard to do well (laughs) and so yeah and it's like very like line arty right like
1: yeah that's like how all of my tattoos are they're like line art and it's like it's like definitely like a tribute to her specifically but like it will age well like if I got, if you get, like, a portrait or, like, some people do, like, a paw print, like, it almost looks like ink, like, an ink stamp of a paw, like, that shit can, like, blur and age really poorly. And, like, obviously, I hate to think about it, but, like, my dog's not going to be with me forever, so, like, getting, like, a nice little memory of her that, like, encapsulates her in a way that's, like, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully I don't think it's cheesy in, like, 30 years, (laughs) but, like, (laughs) without like being like too on the nose, like that was kind of what I was going for.
0: Yeah, it's like in the middle between something that's like aesthetically pleasing and like fits, I guess the theme if you have other like line art type of tattoos, but what other, what other tattoos do you have? Are you like tatted up?
1: I am not tatted up. Um, I'm like trying to maybe establish like a sleeve or a half sleeve, Um, but I have like these line art flowers, on one side of, like, my petunia ears, and then on the back of my arm, I have a headstone with um, a Kurt Vonnegut quote, which is, you've got to be kind, from, um, I think it's, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater, I fucking love Kurt Vonnegut, and, like, literary tattoos, like, I think I mentioned, my first one is, like, The Fig Tree from the Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, Mm -hmm. so, and that one's, like, away from all the rest of mine, and... looks like shit because it was just like poor placement bad design but yeah my like upper arm is kind of like where I'm like okay maybe I'll start a sleeve but it's all like black and white line work
0: I love that I'm so scared of tattoos like I'm pretty sure I'm never gonna get a tattoo or a piercing ever I'm like so straight edge in that type of way I'm afraid of
1: needles or just like
0: I don't know well, I mean yes <laughs> but I consider that to be like a separate issue for some reason like I it's not I guess I'm not scared of having like I'm not scared of the physical um process of getting a tattoo or something um but I'm just afraid of like making a really stupid decision about what type of tattoo I get or something. yeah I, I get guess. that that's like, like the main concern for me
1: yeah even with like my dog one I was like so concerned that it was gonna be I was like what if I don't like this in however long and it's like okay Maybe, but also like it was like my dog, who was like a huge part of my life. So like even if I hate it a lot, I'm still gonna love it a little. Yeah. And I'm also like, like live fast, die young, whatever, with my fucking dog tattoo. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, this, it's definitely this not that big.
1: corpse <clears throat> is rotting, and just like who gives a shit.
0: Exactly. Yeah. No, I am like really scared of needles though. So I love that you clocked me for that. Like I'm the type of person that like cries um okay I'm exaggerating I don't cry but (laughs) I get like lightheaded for shots which is like oh man so so my boyfriend is
1: the same way but but he's like tatted up but he like hates needles and stuff and I'm like make it make sense like I know it's different but I don't know
0: yeah I feel like for me a lot of it is like I have never had any serious medical thing ever like I just don't have experience with like I'm I mean, the most significant thing that's ever happened to me is, like, getting my wisdom teeth removed. But I, it's just, like, okay, they make you inhale some gas, and then it's over. It's not, right? you know, it doesn't really involve much. But, like, if I were to get an IV or something, okay. Like, I would be <laughs> quaking. I cannot do that. But yeah. getting a tattoo is kind of brave. I don't know. That feels different to me because, like, I have a decent pain tolerance. It's more just about, like, blood. I guess, like, some people bleed when they get tattoos, right?
1: Yeah, I think probably everyone does. It's just like the amount and like you don't see it really depending on like the color of the ink. But
0: yeah, I remember I went to I went with my friend like Kaylee to this tattoo shop in Los Angeles and she got this like super crazy, like really colorful like, super nice tattoo that cost a billion dollars and was done by someone who had, like, this amazing studio. And I was, like, waiting for her to bleed because of it. And it never happened. And I was like, oh, what? Like, I thought that this was going to, like, make your entire arm, like, get inflamed or something. And then it just never happened. And then she literally, like, put fucking saran wrap over it and went to the club that night. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I didn't know that you could just recover from this shit. Because it wasn't, like... I understand that, like, a line art one, obviously, is not going to be, like, crazy, crazy... But this was, like, big. I think some
1: people, like, some people respond to tattoos differently, too. Like, they, like, can get infected or, like, you can have, like, feverish, um, like, side effects while you're, like, recovering from it. Because it is, like, a needle in your skin a lot, especially with a big one. So I've been lucky. Like, mine are small and I've they've all healed well. But, like, big ones do freak me out. I don't think I could get anything very big.
0: Yeah, like, all at the same time. I also I was talking to someone else about this recently but like one time I went to well actually this is this has happened at multiple parties but there's one time that I just particularly remember it's like I went to this Charlie XCX after party and there was like a room where there was just a tattoo artist giving out like you can pick between like two or three different designs and then you just like get the tattoo for free because you're there and I was like this seems awful like I can imagine myself being like almost blackout drunk and just being like yeah let's get a charlie xcx tattoo on like my arm and then like wanting to die the next day <laughs> I don't understand that like how do- people are so brave
1: that's like equal parts like very cool and also horrifying to me like the the part of me that it's like whatever like I'm gonna die eventually like make my body look cool <laughs> but also like the mom part of me that's like oh my god why would you do that
0: Yeah, like like when people
1: do like stick and poke tattoos, I like Tumblr made me think that those are like very cool, and I still think they're very cool, but like I don't know if I would have the guts to like get one because I'm like afraid of hepatitis.
0: Yeah, I also feel like they're cool when they actually look good, but sometimes like people will just be like, Yeah, I'm gonna give my friend a stick and poke, and it's like, Okay, do you know what you're doing at all, or is this just gonna (laughs) look like usually not. Yeah, I've seen really bad ones, but then yeah, I've also seen some. Some of them are bad in like a really like I guess endearing way. Where it's like, okay, yeah. yeah, this makes sense. Like it's it's a little bit wonky, but it's a stick and poke, so it's fine, like whatever. But then some of them are just like, Okay, yeah, this is like fucking awful. You, this should it's not be. It's such a delicate
1: balance. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad that we got to talk about the what was it, the Stevens Point drama. That was like one of the things I really wanted to cover and it was good to talk talk books, talk the Midwest. So thank you so much for coming on OomphCast.
1: Thanks for chatting with me. I can talk about literally any of that all day long. That's <laughs> like my whole my whole we, shtick is what you just listed.
0: We can do like a three-hour, like expanded episode. Do you, ha- <laughs> do you have anything that you want to plug besides your Twitter handle? Will be the title of this, obviously. But is there anything else we should check out?
1: Um... I don't really have anything to plug. I have a blog that I don't write on at all. Um, but there, like, if you're interested in like stories and like musings on the Midwest, you could check that out. Oh I yeah, like, I've read some things know... on
0: there, but I feel like you haven't put anything on there for like a million years, right? Or have I just? Not I noticed? have not.
1: Um, I did talk about like internet friends, which might be interesting to
0: some people. Yes, it's the very much the OomphCast vibe. So yeah, is there what is I... the? what is it called? Like, is there an easy way to find mm-hmm. it on there?
1: You know, I'm like, I tried typing it in, <laughs> like can't find it. Okay. It's like, it's WTF. Did I park that home. Blog.
0: That's like such a weird URL. It's not like, it a, was, it's not like a WordPress or like a blogger or anything. It's just like,
1: it is a WordPress. I don't know why that's oh, the URL. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's like this, sh- the shortened version, but I think it yeah. might be
0: linked in your Twitter bio too. Right. So that might be an easier way to get to it. Or is it not? Yeah, I'm going to go. If
1: it's it Yeah, it be. is. It is. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So when you're following Lexi on Twitter, you can also click the the link in bio and go to where the fuck did I park.home.blog. Love it. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of OomphCast. Peace out.
1: Bye.